Today we are starting a new series about the Trinity. And I love that we've actually made this graphic very fuzzy, right? As you're looking at it, it's like a fuzzy graphic. Why? Because the Trinity is a very difficult thing to talk about. What is it? Well, it's probably one of the most difficult topics we could ever talk about. So I want you to buckle up for a rip-rolling roller coaster of theology this morning. Give me a yeah! And for those of you who are the first time, you might be wondering, what did I come to? Last week, we actually talked about, is there a God? Did you remember that? We talked about, is there a God? How cool was it that we had bring a friend week last week and so many new people were able to come? And of course, if you did return, a welcome back to you as well. But last week, we talked about, uh, is there a God? Is there evidence for a God? We all believe in the scripture. Most Christians believe in the scripture that uh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, is there a God? Does he really love us? And why do you have to give his son? is because there are many people who have real questions about is there really a God? Well, I hope I was able to establish last week that I do believe that there's a God. I subscribe to that, that there is an actual God. But if we're talking about a God, which God are we talking about then, right? Because that's the natural next question. Which God are we talking about? Because I'm sure there's many gods out there. I mean, there's, there's Kanye West, <clears throat> he's God, right? There's there's. Kim Kardashian, she's a goddess. There's Beyonce. I mean, there's so many gods out there, right? But there's people always worship something. So what is it that we're saying that we need to believe in and that we need to worship? We need to know who this God is. And if you read the scriptures, you'll know that we follow this Christian God who's called Yahweh, or we call the triune God. Triune means three. That is the Trinity. There are three gods or the three parts of God, however you want to describe it. That's what we want to talk about. So I'm looking to explain today that which we can't fully understand, right? That's my goal. I'm going to explain it all. You're going to walk away and go, I now completely understand this. I I absolutely understand everything that Peter said. So that means we might get a little bit nerdy. So God is explained in the Old Testament and New Testament in many different ways. Here's some of the words that are used to describe God. God is love. God is wisdom. God is glory, God is a burning bush, God is a bright light, God is spirit, God is the sun sitting beside the, the, the right hand of the Father. There's so many different descriptions that we read when we're, when we're reading the description. The interesting thing is when it says in scriptures, it says that God is love. It's not, it doesn't say that he has love, which is completely different. I have love, but I don't know that I am love myself. It's a bit like saying that the ball is round, right? You don't say the, the ball has roundness. And so it describes God in a very particular way, but it says that he is love and he is wisdom and he is glory, which is very different when you think about how we usually talk about what love is. But the Trinity, as we understand it, as Christians, is three things. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to attempt to try and explain that today. And the weeks following, we're going to just talk about the Father. And then the following week, we'll talk about the Son. And the following week, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and who they are and what that is all about. But before we get into exactly what I want to say about the Trinity, I want to say what it's not first. What the Trinity is not. The first one is this. The Trinity is not three parts of the same God. Right? If, I, if I brought an egg this morning, right? we have three parts. You have the shell, you have the egg white, and you have the egg yolk. And you could say, ah, there's three parts to this egg. But if you take the yolk out of the egg, it's only a part of the egg. It's not the whole egg anymore. 
we believe as Christians that each of the Trinity is God by themselves, in and of themselves. So if they were separated by themselves, they would still be God. They're not just a part of God. But the second way that we, that we understand that the Trinity is not, that the Trinity is not one God acting in three different ways. The Trinity is not like water. I've got some water here in my cup. If I take that water and I subject it to freezing temperatures, it now turns into a solid called ice. If I heat it up in a pan, it will start to evaporate into vapor into the air in the, in the house. <clears throat> so you've got ice, you've got water, and you've got vapor. This is not what God is like. God is not like some water, even though it seems to make sense. Oh, it's the same, it's the same essence. No, water molecules can only be one thing at a time. A water molecule can only be water at a time, a liquid, it can only be vapor in that state or it can be ice in the state, but it can't be the three states at the exact same time. So this is where I'm trying to make things as clear as possible by trying to say exactly what it's not. So exactly what is the Trinity? What is it? The Trinity is in four statements, the foundations of the Trinity. Here's four statements I'm gonna make and I'm gonna go through them as fast as possible. Hopefully they make sense. Four foundations of the Trinity. The first one is this. There is one God. There's not five gods, two gods, three gods, 50 gods. There is only one God, which then means that Christianity is not pantheism like the Roman gods when the Greek gods. We have many, many gods and you can appeal to one particular God. There is only one God as we know it from scriptures. The second foundation that we understand the Trinity to be is this, that there is one God who coexists eternally in three persons, eternally. That means that one of them wasn't made so one of them wasn't, wasn't, was uh, 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 existing eternally and then created the other, which is why we, we don't agree with what the Jehovah's Witnesses say because they believe that Jesus was actually created by God the Father. He's a created son. He's a created God. We don't believe that. We believe that all of them were existing eternally according to scripture and they have not, not one of them have been made. The, sec the third foundation that we believe in is that there is one God who coexists eternally in three distinct persons, in three distinct persons. That means that it's not just one God existing in three different ways, right? This is not, this is not water as we, as we talked about. It's not Clark Kent, right? It's not Clark Kent who goes into a phone box, a phone booth, and then suddenly comes out as Superman simply because he stripped off his clothes and took off his glasses, which sounds a little weird when you think about it. You've got a guy stripping off in a, in a phone booth that you can see into and he takes his glasses off and suddenly he's now Superman. This is not God. God's not manifesting in different ways. He is, he, there are three different persons who are distinct from each other. Now, the fourth phrase or the fourth foundation that we would say is this, and it gets longer and it gets more confusing, right? There is one God who coexists eternally in three distinct persons who are co-equal, co-equal, now, when you're reading scripture, you'll hear Jesus say that he submits to the Father. That's wonderful. But it doesn't mean that he is beneath or below the Father. He is equal to the Father. In the same way in my marriage, I submit 99% of the time to my wife, right? And she might submit 1% of the time to me. I'm kidding, right? There's times when, you know, she needs to be in charge of things. And I'll go, you make the decision, you're in charge, you, you, you've got the skills, and I'm, I'm, the, I'm just the idiot that's part of this marriage, right? And then and we'll go with what she says. But there's other times when I go, all right, I'm the one who really needs to take lead on this thing. There's times when we're submitting to one another, but it doesn't mean that one is lesser or or, or unequal to the other person. So if that's the foundation of what the 
Trinity is, how does this whole thing of three in one work? This is where it's going to get crazy. You're not going to understand it because I barely understand it myself. Well, in three in one, the Greeks used to talk about how everything would work in life together. And they talked about, the, uh, they tried to explain the, 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 all things that existed in the world through this thing called earth, wind, and fire, right? Earth, wind, and fire. But then one day they remembered on the 21st day of September while chasing the clouds away that there was also, did anyone get that one? I'm sorry, that was maybe a little bit too high of humor for you. That was philosophical funk humor also known as funkosophical humor, right? In fact, what they did was they tried to explain the world through earth, wind, and fire, and water, these four elements. But what they discovered is that there's a, there's, a, there's a tension between all of these things. There's a unity and there's a diversity between them. But they understood that these were the four elements that existed. In fact, they called them quintessence. Okay, we're getting nerdy here. Quintessence, which is where we get our word, quintessential. Quintessential is the ultimate. It's the thing that explains everything. And when they came across these things, they realized that something like the earth and water, they're completely different from each other. But somehow they interact with each other to explain why plants grow or why things seem to develop or creation seems to move to the next step. So water and soil are not the same, but then you've got fire and you've got wind, which are completely different from each other. But they're all interacting with each other. And so they're trying to explain how everything works together as we see it. That's what we're trying to do when we're looking at God as three in one. Even today, scientists are having it very difficult to understand why does everything become glued together? Why is everything floating around and existing the way it is? In fact, if you see you've got, you know, you've got my, my right hand here and my left hand, why are they able to move independently of each other? How are they able to work? You would say, oh, your body's in between. But there are many things that exist in the world that are related to each other, but they, there's, there's nothing between them. If you go up in space, how are the planets where they are? Why are they floating in space the way they are? How do we explain what's going on between? So scientists call this dark matter. And dark matter is the only way they can explain the stuff that is in between planets and objects that seem to be connected to each other and be related to each other, but they don't know why they operate. How do they react and how do they float that way? Think of it as a, as, as a billiard table, right? You've got the billiard table uh, right there and you're, you're, you're hitting the balls on the billiard table and they all seem to move around on this flat plane and then they bounce off the cushions on the side of the billiard table. But imagine if you couldn't see the billiard table. You'd have to ask yourself the question, why are these balls moving around in such a way that it's only one dimension? They're hitting off the, it seems like they're hitting off an edge, but we can't see the edge. Do you see how it becomes more complicated when we're trying to actually explain the things that we don't see? But scripture does this. It tries to explain it in a very simple way. In Colossians 1.17, it says, he is before all things and in him all things hold together, Right? So if you're a scientist, you're going, there's something out there and we don't know what it is. And we're reading scripture and says, well, it sounds like God is telling us that it's God who is actually holding all things together. Even when John was writing about Jesus, he said, in the beginning was the, and the was with God, and the word was God, right? That's what we know about John chapter one, verse one. But that word, that word, word, is actually the word logos, which is where we get our ology from. So chronology, uh, geography, uh, theology, it's 
literally means the meaning. So in the beginning was the meaning. And he was the meaning and the meaning was God and the meaning was with God. The reason for everything is what John is trying to describe. He's trying to use a different way of doing us. So I'm gonna try and give you a, a, a visual to try and help you understand how this works. But it's not gonna explain anything. So here's the first one, right? We have a line at the bottom of a screen, right? The line at the bottom of the screen. This is what you call one dimension, right? One dimension, it's horizontal, it's going left and right. Lines are wonderful. These are the things that we have on roads to try and keep us in our lanes, except those that don't like keeping to the lane. So here's the one line. But if we add a second type of line, we add a second dimension, it would go vertical. And once lines go vertical, you can now turn it into a shape. You can turn it into a nice figure that's on a screen. You've got the X, Y, you've got the X, Y uh, coordinates here. And now we'll be able to make shapes because, because we've got now up and down, we've got left and right. But if I took it to another level, if you only lived in a two-dimensional world and I tried to explain to you three-dimensional, your brain would start to bleed because all you know is left and right, up and down. But if we go into the three-dimensional world, this is C.S. Lewis's example of trying to explain this. If we go into the three-dimension, now you've created an object, right? So one line, You've got one line there, you've got two dimensions, and then you've got a three dimension. But if you put 12 lines together, it makes six squares, and you put them all together, now you have one square. God just has another dimension that is beyond our comprehension. That's what it comes down to. That's why it's often difficult to try and explain how God actually works, or how he can be three persons as one God. So then I actually have to ask the question, is this something that's just been made up by early church fathers, right? Have they just come up with this idea and like, hey guys, let's get together. Let's confuse everybody so no one asks some really hard questions that we can't answer. What we'll do is we'll give them an answer that they can't question and, and then they'll just go, my, my, my brain is starting to melt and I don't understand. I totally get that. But let's look at it like this. There are, there are there's evidence in the Old Testament and evidence in the New Testament that, Christians or those who followed Christ or those who followed Yahweh in the Old Testament, they believed that there were more than just one person of the God. Now, if you look at the word Trinity, Trinity is nowhere in scripture. You can say, ah, see, you guys did make it up in the second century. Yes, it was made up as a word that was made up in the second century, but this guy called Tertullian, we're Facebook friends. We go way back, way back in the old days. But he's the guy who first started using this term, Trinity. But this is how we see it. We see it in the scriptures. We see evidence in the Old Testament and we see evidence in the New Testament. So let me show you some evidence. I'm gonna show you four different scriptures that show us that God is just not one guy or one thing or one identity. In Genesis 1:26, it says, then God said, let, what does that say? Us. us. Wait a second, how do you have us going on here? Shouldn't it be let me, let me, myself and I, explain and try to make God and our mankind. So let's say saying, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Yeah. Right off the bat, right at the beginning, it's literally pointing to there's more than just one part of God or one person of God, however, what, which language you actually want to use. Here's a second piece of evidence from, the, from the, New, the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. This is like one of the first creeds of the Jews in the Old Testament. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now you would read that and say, ah, oh, see, there's only one God. 
There's a problem with that, and that is it's been translated into English, and that's the only way we can understand that. But when you dig into it and find out what words are being used here, this word for God here is not El. El is singular God. It's Elohim, which means plural of God, plurality of God. Now, it could mean many, many, many gods, 50 gods or something like that, but it's pointing to us, the Lord our God, Elohim, the Lord is one. There's two ways we understand the word one here. One can actually mean a singular thing or it can actually mean in unity as we are one together. My wife and I were married together. We are one together in our marriage. We're one in thought and mind because I do everything that she tells me to do, right? But the best way to actually do this, let's put it into the way we would read it and it would say this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our gods, the Lord is unity. That's how it should really read but we don't read it that way because that just sounds weird, right? So there's the second piece of evidence that we have from the Old Testament. Is anyone's brain melting just yet? Is it not? If it's not melting yet, then I'm not doing a good enough job. Are you with me on this? Good, I can see the excitement and the thrill that's happening in the room right now. Okay, two more pieces of evidence. Here we go. In Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, therefore, this is Jesus talking, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus talks about God being in three parts or three ways or three expressions as we see it. And then the last one I'll give you is Paul in 2 Corinthians. When he's greeting the people in Corinth, he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So this is not something we've just made up. This is something you see all across the scripture if you're able to dig in a little bit deeper. So here's my last question for the day. Why does this even matter? Can I just walk around my life and Jesus just blesses me or something? <coughs> Can I just be happy and, and he makes everything fixed for me when I ask him? Well, I believe there are two reasons why it's, on, it's important to understand the Trinity. The first one is this, <coughs> excuse me. The first one is this, God can't be love if there's only one person. If we believe that God is love, he can't just be one person. He would have had to have created us in order to have love. But if he existed before everything and before anything was created, then if he was only a singular entity or a singular God or a singular person, he can't be loved because you need relationship in order to have love. That's why it's heartbreaking if you're someone who would love to have children but you can't have children because you have this deep love that you want to give to a child. You have a deep love that you want to give, give away. Where did that love come from? That love came from someone else who gave you love or showed you love, or it came from God himself, and you have this love to give away to someone else. You can't yearn for something that doesn't exist. You can't yearn if it's not even being conceived. So love actually has to have more than one entity in order for it to exist. There is no other religion on earth that says that God is love. So here's the second reason why I believe that the Trinity is important. The second reason is we have a different relationship with each person of God. Now here's where I'm hoping to uh, take some names on this one and kick some butts, right? Because there's many of us that believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scripture. That's the way we live, right? There are three entities here. 
that there's not just two parts of God that we should have a relationship with. Yeah, yeah, that Holy Spirit thing, we, we can just, yeah, we, he'll do his stuff and, and maybe he'll do stuff in the background that I don't really understand. Listen, this is a person, an entity of the Godhead. He is part of the Trinity, co-equal with Christ and the Father, but many of us actually ignore him quite significantly. So let me put it like this. How do we relate with each one of the Godhead? I'm just gonna try and break this down as simple as possible. The first one is this. The Father demands holiness. Jesus demonstrates holiness and the Holy Spirit delivers the power to be holy. Let me give you a quick explanation of how that works. The Father demands holiness. When you read scripture, you'll see that God is the judge before us. God is the one who demands what is right and wrong. In fact, if you see he, even on earth, we are made in his image. There are part of us that are very much like God the Father and we relate with him on this level. If you look at statistics together, when there is no father, when there's no father in a family, when there's no father in, in a child's life, the statistics tell us that crime and poverty is likely to increase up six times more with children in their lives. Now think about that, why? Because the absence of the father is because there's an absence of someone who is giving a command and a threat to a child that says, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. You follow me so far? This is not statistics I've come up with. We have seen this time and time again. This is why it's so important to have a father and a mother in a child's life. It's even better when they're actually in each other's lives and they have a marriage. It's not to bring condemnation on any of you who didn't have a father or doesn't have a father for your child. I'm just telling you the statistics tell us that that's true. That's why chasing after the father is so important because the father tells you what's right and wrong. The father's the one that goes, you need to stop that. The father's also the one who restores you when you have done what's wrong and then you ask for forgiveness, the father restores you. You follow me so far? So the Father is the one who demands holiness in your life. But the Son is the one who's shown us, He has demonstrated to us how to live a holy life. You see, there's the problem that we have in that how do you relate with God the Father when He is big and mighty and He is God and I'm just a peasant here on earth? How do I relate with the Father? That's part of the reason why Jesus came to earth. He said, I will become like them. I will become one of them. I will become complete in flesh. I will become incarnate. I will become encased in flesh. And because Jesus became like one of us, he was therefore tempted and subjected to the temptations of life just like we were. And so therefore he was able to prove to us it's possible to live a holy life. That's why we follow Jesus. We don't follow Jesus because he's God. We follow Jesus because he is God who's showing us how to be holy ourselves. And what is holiness? Holiness is just living the right way. But the third part of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. If the Father demands holiness and Jesus demonstrates holiness, the Holy Spirit delivers the power to be holy. Because the fact is, I don't know how to live a holy life. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it myself. 
I don't, I know by Jesus telling me how to do it, but sometimes you just don't know how to get up in the morning and do the right thing. That's where the Holy Spirit interacts with us. How so? He works with our conscience. He shows us wisdom. He gives us power. He gives us tenacity. He gives us hope. He gives us strength. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter for a reason because it comes from two words. He comes and fortifies us. He comes and strengthens us. He comes and gives us power. That's who the Holy Spirit is. And if you're a believer in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures, you're missing out on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can't wait until we get to the fourth Sunday of this month to talk about the Holy Spirit. But the other two are going to be just as great. I know that. But I want to see how we're meant to interact and walk with the Holy Spirit because we need the power of God in our lives. What is the point in believing in God if you don't see the manifestation of God in your life? Some of you probably feel that some days. You get up in the morning, you're like, I believe in God, but where is the power in my life? Where is it? I can't, I can't seem to do the right thing. I don't seem to be able to choose the right thing. Nothing seems to come my way because I believe you missed out on the relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is significant because some of you have a lot of challenges in your life, internal and external. You've got a lot of obstacles to overcome. God doesn't want you just to make it in life. He doesn't want you just to survive to get to heaven. He wants you to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he's overcome the world. Jesus said he's come to give life and life to the full. Where's your life? We need to have a relationship with each one of the Godhead that we follow. Let's stand this morning. Oh, Father. Help us to understand you. Help us to understand the Trinity. It's kind of confusing. We've got billiard balls and we've got squares. We've got eggs and we've got phone booths in our head now. How do we understand you, Father? But what we know is you're a good Father. You're a good Father who wants to reveal yourself. You're not hiding away. You want to reveal yourself to us. And we're, ha we're asking that during this month, that we will get to know the fullness of who you are as much as we can, as much as we're capable of doing so. So right now, I just want you to take a moment of quietness. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to just to ask God, show yourself to me, oh God. Every great man and woman who's ever walked this earth that I have ever wanted to be like have always asked God to show them himself. So we're just going to take a few seconds of a pause in a moment just for you to ask, God, show me yourself. Thank you, Father, for being a good father. We thank you for sending us your son. And we thank you for sending us the power through your Holy Spirit to be able to live this life that you've called us to. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. We love you guys.